All right, Matthew 28 in your Bibles, please. Matthew 28. If you're using one of the black Bibles that are provided for you, there in the seats you'll find today's text on page 527. Page 527 of the black Bibles that are provided. Most of you are familiar that the Bible is divided up into chapters and verses. The chapters are the large numbers followed by smaller numbers, which are the verse numbers. And this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28, so it's the big number, and we'll go all the way down to verses 18 through 20, really, um, there right at the very end of Matthew. I'm going to read the text of Scripture. We've already heard it during our call to worship, but I'll just remind us of it, and then we'll ask for God's help. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Father, use these moments that we have together in our hearts. Use... um, us use this text to shape us, to make us think as a church. I pray, Lord, that you would um, take your word and weave it deep in our hearts. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Dear Brother Bob here on the front row, a couple weeks ago after my message, said, you need to preach that message once a year. And actually, he was really tapping into exactly what we're doing. Right, we are kind of reviewing some, some basics some things that we need to be reminded of frequently as a church. Um, If you're learning to play basketball, um, I remember times when we were just getting really sloppy as a basketball. Now, I always played sloppy basketball. That was the only type of basketball I could play. But the rest of my team began to play more sloppy basketball. And I remember the coach, after we lost a game, taking us us to the court and said, all right, guys, we're just going to have a practice where we just drill the fundamentals, right? It's the basics. It's like, you know, how to shoot a foul shot, right? How to dribble, all that kind of stuff. Let's just, let's just do some rehearsal of the basics, right? That's kind of what we're doing in these few weeks leading up to the fall is we're reminding ourselves of the basics. Now, I will have to tell you, I get a bit self-conscious when I'm repeating stuff that I know you've heard before, right? Um, but it's important to do. It's important to do for a couple reasons because sometimes we need to be reminded over and over again of the basic things. The other thing is, too, we, people are changing in our church, right? So um, in God's providence, he moves some people away from here and, and he brings other people here. And so for some of you, this isn't review. This isn't like you've heard it a dozen times before. Uh, if it is review for you, um, please listen anyway. Don't go to sleep. Um, that understand that, that this rehearsal of what is important to us as a church is, is important. All right, so with that having been said, you ready for your quiz? You know what I'm going to ask, don't, don't you? What is the mission of North Hills Baptist Church? Well, yeah, those in our new members class, they know it. How about those of you that didn't just hear it last week? <laughs> Anybody remember? Go ahead. To make disciples. Good. Good. Anybody remember kind of how we word that? Right? No? It's not there. 
We, if it had been there, you would have seen those suddenly disappear, and you would have known that there was a quiz coming. That's, that's how, like, in the fall, when all of a sudden the banners disappear, everybody knows, oh, pastor's up to something. I better get on the website real quick and review. North Hills Baptist Church seeks to produce disciples, but, but we kind of... Um, Genuine followers of Christ, right? Kind of a more working definition of disciples who are, and here's the hard part that we don't always remember, who are three things. What? Anybody know? Who are word-filled, serving others, and spreading the gospel. All right? North Hills Baptist seeks to produce genuine followers of Christ. That's disciples. Who are word-filled, serving others, and spreading the gospel. Closely related, of course, is our purpose statement. We exist to glorify God. Mission is what we do. Uh, purpose is why we exist. They're, they're related, but exist to glorify God by making disciples. Where do we get that? Well, we get that from Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Okay? Now, again, I'm going to kind of explain kind of some of the technicalities of this passage so that we understand it well. Um, because if we're going to apply something, it's important that we understand the text first. So again, if you've heard this before, it's just review for you, all right? But maybe if you've heard it enough times, you can preach this message, all right? So here goes. Christ gives this command to his disciples, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. That's all one sentence in the original language. There is a main verb. There's actually four verbs there. Uh-oh, this is, like, this is like English class, right? Well, so let's identify the verbs. Go is a verb. Baptizing is a verbal. It's a verbal, but it's a verb, right? Um, make disciples and teaching. Those are our four verbs. Which one's the main verb of the sentence? You would think that, wouldn't you? You would think go. I mean, it starts off with that word, Right? And you would think, okay, so I'll give you another clue. This isn't going to help you. The main verb is actually an imperative, which means it's a command. Well, so obviously it's go. Actually, no. That's actually the idea of going. The main verb is what? Make disciples. Or if we could say discipleize, there's no such word, but that's probably a good translation for it. Discipleize is the main verb of the sentence. And if we were diagramming it, going, baptizing, teaching, hang off of that main verb, which is the command, make disciples. Because those other three things revolve around it. Now, the way the language works is when you have a main verb that's a command, that's an imperative, those other kind of ing verbs those verbals that hang off of it still carry that force of a command because it's all part of that one command do you understand so we're not saying that go isn't a command or baptizing isn't a command or teaching isn't a command it it is but the actual imperative verb the main verb that those others revolve around is make disciples so sometimes i use the image of a three-legged stool right the top part of it is discipleize the three legs that Discipleize stands on is going, baptizing, teaching. Right. So as we are going, 
through our lives, as we actually make intentional efforts to go, the purpose for which we go is to make disciples. Baptizing is the New Testament mechanism by which someone is assimilated into a local church upon the public profession of their faith. So once someone is evangelized, then they are assimilated into a local church, which is the disciple-making factory. That is the New Testament means by which someone is drawn more and more to the image of Christ. It is one of God's good graces that he gives us to grow us, right? We're talking about sanctification. And so when we're talking about becoming a disciple, a follower, baptizing, bringing someone into a local church, and then teaching. Now, if you use an old King James you'll see make disciples also translated as teaching. The words are actually different in the original language because this second here in, in, in verse 20, that, that teaching is the idea of systematic line upon line uh, instruction. What's the content of that? All things that I have commanded you. So all the commandments of Jesus. All right, so we kind of distill all that down and that's our mission is to make disciples, and these are the ways in which we do it. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So that is our mission. All right, so with the last few weeks, we've been spending a lot of time on sanctification. Sanctification is the means by which we are conformed more to the image of of Jesus Christ. Remember we said it is, it is that process whereby the Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and conforms us more to the image of the Son of God. That's sanctification. Now we are talking about a very closely related topic, but it piggybacks on understanding of sanctification because it's, it's the process of discipleship. What is discipleship? Well, of course, there's a sense in which we're talking about discipleship as it relates to Christ. We are all together disciples. We are all followers of Jesus Christ. Yet there's another sense in which we are linked arm in arm with fellow followers of Jesus Christ, and we are tasked with helping each other in the sanctification process. You've heard me say it many times before. We are not simply called to follow Jesus. We are called to follow Jesus linked arm-in-arm with other Jesus followers. That's really what a local church is all about, is God has given us the gift of one another so that we can encourage, so that we can strengthen, so that we can, yes, at times admonish one another towards that goal of becoming more like Jesus Christ. And so that's discipleship. That's disciple-making. And so you'll hear a lot about that around here because it is, it is one of our passions that we are doing exactly what we ought to, to be doing in making disciples. So some key truths about making disciples, all right? The first thing that you need to understand is if you are a genuine follower of Christ, part of what you are called to do is to help produce other genuine followers of Christ. In other words, disciples make disciples. That's what, that's what we do. 
We are called on not just to be an end in ourselves, not just an island in ourselves, but then to pour ourselves into other people whereby those others can become more like Jesus Christ. Disciples make disciples. One author has said it this way, a disciple is by nature, by definition, a multiplier. Disciples are not merely learners, but fruit-bearing disciple-makers. They multiply themselves. That's what we're called upon to do. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. The first principles of the oracles of God. All right, now let's get back to basics, the writer of Hebrews says. You're to the point in your Christian walk, you're mature enough in your Christian walk that you should be teaching other people. But you're not. <laughs> it's kind of the implication. So, all right, let's go back to the ball court and teach you the fundamentals again because apparently you missed something along the way. You're supposed to be teaching other people. You've come to need milk and not solid food. You're, you're just a baby, is essentially what he says. One author in commenting on this passage says this, This passage contradicts those who have the unbiblical mindset that religion is a personal matter. I don't meddle in other people's lives. It's their life. If they want to throw it away, that's their business. Okay, the apostle insists that those who have this attitude of non-interference in the lives of others need biblical change themselves for their self-centered lack of ministry to others. And that is especially true in a local assembly where we have committed to one another to help one another grow. We don't have room for the idea that, well, they do what they want to do, I do what I want to do, we leave each other alone. No, actually, getting in each other's lives, pouring ourselves into one another, is part of what we're called to do, because that's the process of disciple-making. Disciples make disciples. Now, when you're thinking about it on a church level, it becomes very important, because for the body to be healthy, the cells themselves have to be healthy. And so, I like the term cellular level. The church is most healthy when discipleship is taking place at that level. You understand that what, what we do when we stand up and we open the Word of God and we instruct you from the Word of God, that is a form of discipleship. It is, it is teaching you how to be a disciple. When we have a Sunday school class and, and there's, a, there's a group being taught, that is a form of discipleship. All of that is discipleship. But I am convinced that discipleship is supposed to be happening at that kind of organic cellular level. And if it's lacking, the body is going to have a really hard time being healthy. And so around here, we call that life-touching-life discipleship. I've, you've heard me say before, again, I'm repeating myself a lot this week. I understand that, all right? But it needs to be repeated. All right, I, you've heard me say before that our vision is that I could walk up to any member of North Hills Baptist and I could say, who are you discipling? Who are you spiritually mentoring? And you should be able to tell me at least one name. I should be able to turn that question around and say, okay, now who do you look to as your spiritual leader? Who, who are you learning from? Who's discipling you? And you should be able to tell me. Now, we're, we're not there yet. In fact, we're probably going to keep striving to that. But, but as we think towards the fall and our kind of discipleship routine, 
it's important for us to re realize that the church is healthy when the cells are healthy. The other thing that I want us to consider the fact that, that discipleship is, is multi-generational. And so this is where um, we think of passages like Titus 2.2, which specifically speaks to women, but of course there's a, a broader application. Um, as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, right? So Paul is giving instruction to the pastoral leader of the church in Crete. His name is Titus. He says, then instruct the older men to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, uh, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Verse 4, that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So the instruction that he's given, the pastor, is to instruct those in the congregation. And specifically, he keys in on this multi-generational aspect of discipleship. There is a responsibility for those that are, are ahead. Often that's ahead in life, or older, if you will. <laughs> Sometimes it's just a, a, a spiritual eldership, right? Someone who has been walking with the Lord for a number of years may be chronologically younger than someone else who's a baby Christian. Well, the point is pouring yourself into whoever that person is that's following along behind you. And this should be our passion. This should be something that we're always looking to do. Who is that person that I can invest in? Who's that person that I can look to and, and encourage and help and, and watch them grow? Because God uses my ministry in their lives. So it's a multi-generational. It's not something that, you know, the teens are over here in, in their corner and the children are over here in their, their corner. Now, don't get me wrong, we believe in age-appropriate instruction. And there's a, there's a place for that. But we don't want to, to segregate off the church into these corridors such that there's not this multi-generational investment in one another. Our young people should be having conversations with those that are ahead of them in life. Our, our older people should be um, dialoguing with those who are younger than them. And I'm so, uh, I'm so encouraged by this, this passage here in Titus 2 because it encourages that, that kind of thing. Now, it's interesting that Titus 2 speaks um, specifically about discipleship amongst women, we're going to get to another passage here in a few minutes that speaks more to men. But I will say this. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned that we're looking towards the fall, and you want to start thinking about um, who you're going to spend time with, um, either during the 915 discipleship hour or the Wednesday night, or another time during the week, if it works better for you. And I mentioned, you know, let me know what you're thinking, who you're talking to, and uh Guys, it's been all women so far that have reached out to me and said, hey, this is the plan. <laughs> so, guys, you're getting shown up. <laughs> like, I already know of five women who have a plan for the fall. Guys, you better get on the stick. <laughs> so be thinking, be praying, uh, be, be talking to, to one another about how that's going to work out. Um, and I will say, one of, what made me think of that was that one of them is... Um, two people who are not the same age. And that's very encouraging. That's exciting uh, to hear, hear about that. All right, so 
it's multi-generational. Discipleship begins with non-disciples. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, all of us were not disciples at one point. All of us were separated from God by our sin. And so even if today you're a believer, you're a disciple, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a point at which you were not, and that's where discipleship starts. So in other words, I remember you know, a lot of times when I heard Matthew 28, 19, and 20 preached as a kid, uh, often, not always, but often it was kind of in this vein of evangelism. Like that verse teaches us to go reach the lost. It does. <laughs> that's absolutely in the passage. But that's not it. That's just the beginning. That's just the, the launching point. Discipleship starts with non-disciples and then it goes from there. So we really want to think about our evangelism as part of a larger picture of discipleship. And so part of the reason that we believe in evangelism according to the model that we've taught here, right, that, that life-touching life, that one-to-one -one evangelism, is because that's the way you do all of discipleship. And it's the, you know, that, that, that individual, you know, here's a tool, let's study it, let's learn the gospel together. Oh, now you're professing faith in Christ. Let's, you get baptized, and we're going to keep right on doing that. Right? It's, it's predicated on a, a relationship. So discipleship begins with non-disciples. Maybe the person that you're praying about is a redemptive relationship. Now, we've broken it up when we look at our, our, our objectives for the year, right? Win one, lead one. So win one is kind of that evangelism component of discipleship. Lead one is that ongoing growth in Christ, what we often call discipleship. Does that make sense? So, you know, it's, it's, two, it's two things in there, but they're part of a continuum. And then turn that around, follow one. Be discipled by someone. And then the last one is a corporate goal of sending someone from our midst to a place that is in need of the gospel. Discipleship starts with non-disciples. So maybe, maybe there's a neighbor. Maybe there's a friend. Uh, maybe there's a coworker who you've been having gospel conversations with. And it's time to say, hey, you know, I know this little four-week Bible study. And um, I'd love, you know, I'd love to go through that Bible study with you if you'd like to learn more about how you can have a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. And we're glad to put those tools uh, in your hand and help you in any way. Discipleship starts with non-disciples. And then I'm going to say this as far as a principle of discipleship. Lastly, discipleship must be intentional, consistent, and relational. It must be intentional consistent, and relational. Now, all of those words are important. Intentional. You know, a lot of times we have good intentions. We think, yeah, I need to be discipling people, but there's no intentionality to it. That's part of why we give you tools in your hands because that kind of keeps us on a path, that we're doing this on purpose. Now, I hope you have good friendships, and I hope you enjoy just sitting down and chatting with, with brothers and sisters in Christ, but that's not discipleship. And sometimes discipleship gets reduced to, well, I've got good relationships with other people in the church. That's the, that's the, the basis, that's the foundation, but that in and of itself is not discipleship. And so what the tools that I'm going to talk to you about a little bit help it to be intentional. Okay, we're studying a book together. We're reading through a book together. Um, we're, we're 
discussing the things that we are learning. That helps it to be focused, helps it to be intentional, so that we're actually helping each other grow in Christ, um, not just a slightly sanctified version of a secular friendship. Consistent. You know, there have been impactful conversations that I have had through my life. There have been highly impactful messages that I've heard throughout my life. But the real growth comes from consistent day-by-day, week-by-week, month-by-month investment of us in one another. And so it needs to be not just a flash in the pan, not just a one-time thing, not just a, a conversation here and there, but intentional and consistently so. And then I've already alluded to this several times. It must be predicated on a relationship, that we know each other, that we're praying together, that we are investing in one another in a personal way. And so I think for discipleship really to be, to be right, to be biblical, to be productive, it should have this intentionality, it should have consistency, and of course it is a relationship. Biblical discipleship is not merely a program. It's not primarily a program. Uh, one book that we recommend around here says it has a certain kind of relationship. It is a certain kind of relationship between two believers with a very specific goal in mind. Discipleship is helping another believer make biblical change toward Christ-likeness, helping others in the sanctification process. From time to time, people will ask me, you know, go talk to them about our church, what we're passionate about, and people will refer to what I'm saying as a discipleship program. I bristle when I hear discipleship program. Do we have a discipleship program? Well, eh. What we have, what we're doing is we're striving to develop a discipleship culture. It's not quite the same thing as a program. Does it have some programmatic aspects? Yeah. Like there's two times throughout the week that that's what they're set aside for. Uh, We have a curriculum, if you will. So there's certainly some programmatic aspects, but that's just a tool by which we're intentional. It's not really, first and foremost, a program. It is what we do. I had someone, I was explaining to someone sometime back uh, what we do in our church as far as discipleship, and they were just intrigued by it, blown away by it. They couldn't believe that, um, you know, we do that kind of thing. And so, and you, you and the other pastor are in charge of this, all of this, like in charge of all of this. We model it, we teach it, we encourage it, but it's not really the type of thing that it's not a program. It's who we are as believers. And so I think it's, it's very important. And um, I, I, it, I mean, honestly, it amazes me when I talk to others other pastors even, who, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. So, so you know that one of the people that I recently discipled was Miles, who's now off at college. And we were having lunch with another pastor in the area. And um, he was just sitting there saying, like, this, this doesn't happen. Like, this never happens. And he's a pastor. Well, he's, he's out of the area now. But he was pastoring a, a big church. <laughs> and he's like, I've never seen this before. And I'm like, why not? It's in the New Testament. <laughs> um, 
And it's not, it's not really that novel. I mean, it really is right there in the New Testament, but, but this is the, the culture that we want to, to have in our church. Um, not, a, not a big program, but really just a heart that is about pouring ourselves into, into other people. 2 Timothy 2 is one of the kind of cornerstones of our discipling philosophy. Second uh, Timothy 2, again, Paul is instructing his son in the faith, son in the faith, and you see multiple generations here. He says, the things that you, Timothy, Timothy, you've learned from me. You've heard from me among many witnesses, right? So you got, there's two generations, right? Paul and Timothy. He says, then commit those to faithful men. Don't let it stop with you, Timothy. I've poured into you. I've invested in you. I've taught you. Now you being a disciple, are supposed to make disciples. You go pour into other faithful men. And what are you supposed to teach them? Well, that's it. That's good. You're fine there. No, 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 no. Who will be able to teach others also? So you got four generations in one verse. Now, Paul said, I invested in you, Timothy, so that you can now go invest in others. And you teach them to invest in others. This is the way the faith is to be handed down. This faithful discipleship of the next generation, whether it's, it's chronologically the next generation, age-wise, or whether it's just spiritually the next generation. Invest in those, and then they will invest in others, and then they will invest in others. This is exactly what we are trying to do here at North Hills. The things you've heard of me, commit those to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So I want us to think now about 2 Timothy 2. And think about this need for discipleship. Romans 15 tells us, I myself am also persuaded of you, brethren, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Galatians 6, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Hebrews 5 of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. You are dull of hearing, for when the time, this is the verse that we looked at a little bit earlier, you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracle of God. What are all of these verses saying? They're saying the same basic thing. Pour into each other's lives. It is your business to be discipling other people. Sometimes that means admonishment. Sometimes that means encouragement. Sometimes that means um, just just praying for one another, but all of it is revolving around this idea that God has equipped you not just to be a disciple, not just to be a follower, but then to equip other disciples. How does that get done? Well, it gets done in Scripture a couple ways. First of all, you saw it in 2 Timothy 2.2 2, in example. We provide an example to others. Timothy, you saw it in me. You saw it modeled. You saw it lived out. He also says, Paul also says in Philippians 3.17, Be followers of me. You have us for an example. 2 Thessalonians, not because we have power, but to make ourselves an example for you to follow. And so our part in discipleship is being an example. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, you became, this is to the church in Thessalonica, you became followers of me and of the Lord. 
And then, verse 7, you were examples to all who believed in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith towards God was spread abroad, so that we have no need to speak anything. He's saying to the Thessalonian believers, you had us as an example. You followed that example. And now your example is becoming notorious in a good sense to all the surrounding region. And so there's a need for us to provide an example to other people. Now there are times, we saw in Galatians, that we will have to correct one another. It's interesting to me, I remember uh, early in my pastoring, um, a lady who, who came to me concerned about some things that she was seeing in the young ladies in the church. All bent out of shape, really, about some of the things that she was seeing um, amongst other young ladies in the church. And what became clear to me in the course of that conversation is that she literally did not know any of them. She hadn't really spent the time to get to know any of them personally. So as, I, as this dawned on me, that, that was, this is what was happening, I said, and how did they respond when you spoke to them about this? Crickets, right? She hadn't talked to them about any of this, right? What she wanted to do, she wanted the pastor to handle it. You need to handle this, pastor. No, 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 that's not discipleship. <laughs> there are times that we need to correct one another, but it should be done in the context of a relationship of love. I mean, I need to be corrected at times. You need to be corrected at times. But it, it, it goes a whole lot better. It, it works a whole lot more biblically when we together are working on this project of growth in Christ. And we love each other. And we sometimes correct each other. Paul did that, Colossians 1, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in wisdom that we may present each one perfect in the day of Christ. Uh, again, Romans 15, I myself am persuaded that you, my brethren, are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able. You are equipped to admonish one another. So providing an example, at times providing correction, but always providing teaching. That goes back to Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Giving that faithful instruction. Got a, I think I've got a slate of slides that gets repeated here. So let me... All right, first, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 2. I want to come back to that here for just a moment. So, Paul, uh, Paul tells Timothy, um, the things you've learned of me, commit to faithful men. Now, there's a couple things implied there. They're faithful, right? That's explicitly stated. But what else has to be true of those people that he's pouring himself into? Pouring himself into? They have to be available for that teaching. They have to be uh, ones who are open to that investment and capable but then there's also a spirit there that goes along with that. They'll be able to teach others also, but only when they have learned themselves. That is to say, they are teachable. 
So what I observe in that passage is that, that Timothy is instructed to teach those who are faithful, those who are available, and those who are teachable. In short, fat people, right? Some of you are already chuckling because you knew my little acronym, right? So you're supposed to teach fat people. Faithful, available, teachable. These are the people that we should be always looking. How can we uh, invest in other people? Now, I want to take just a moment to introduce you to our discipleship pathway. All right. Now, let me tell you what we mean by this. Um, as pastors, we are responsible in some sense for discipling all of you, right? What does Hebrews say? As those who give an account. So there's a sense in which we as pastors give an account for the discipleship of everyone in the congregation. And so as such, one of the ways that we teach is by pointing you to good resources. And so we have a discipleship pathway that we kind of prescribe. Now, let me use an illustration to kind of tell you how this discipleship pathway works. Have you ever gone to a historic site and they give you that, that little thing you stick in your ear and you have that dial pad thing and you go to, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Right? You go to the first stop and it says one and you push one and it plays the thing in your ear and you, okay. And then it says, if you want to know more about this, you know, hit 21. And you can delve more in depth. And then when you're done, it says, now go to, you know, go to your left and stop at audio point number two or whatever, however it, it explains it. But you don't have to. I mean, you could go like, this looks interesting. We were in um, uh, outside of Houston, um, Galveston Island taking a tour of one of those, and I saw in the other room a piano. Well, obviously I have some interest there. So instead of going to the next place that I was supposed to go to, I went over to the piano and started looking in it and looking underneath it. Like, that wasn't even on the tour. It was, it was off the beaten path, and that's okay. The tour guide actually came over and said, oh, are there any questions I can answer? And, and he actually invited me to play it, and I said, no, thank you. <laughs> he said, we don't mind, you know, actually people who can play it. And I'm like, no, that's okay. Uh, but, you know, they, I was off the tour. It wasn't, wasn't on the tour. And I could spend some time there learning. Okay, that's kind of what our discipleship pathway is. Like, we're giving you the road markers. We're giving you the point one, point two, point three. It's a pretty loose prescription. Like, if, there's, if you need to delve more, if you want to go look at the piano for a few minutes, that's okay. If you want to stay at station number two and hear more, that's fine, too. Okay, so that's... Maybe it gives you a little illustration of what I'm talking about with Discipleship Pathway. But we want to put resources in your hands so that you can grow and so that you can help others grow. I would encourage you to use good resources. I would discourage you from just going to your local Christian bookstore and picking up whatever the flavor of the day is. That's probably not going to end well. It's probably not going to be solid. It may be popular, but it might not be the best resource. All right, so all of this to say, we want to give you some recommendations. We always recommend that people start with the exchange. This is a four-week Bible study that walks people through the gospel in great detail. It is tremendous for evangelism. 
because that gives you an opportunity to dialogue with an unbeliever in a way that they can get their questions answered, they can have discussions, you can go more in depth into things that they don't understand, uh, etc. We have just found that it works a lot better than trying to give the gospel in one boom shotgun blast. Um, so that's a four-week study, um, the exchange that goes into, the, into the, the gospel in depth. We've also found that it's very helpful for believers. There are many who have professed faith, and there's just some holes in their understanding uh, about the gospel. And so we found that even believers profit greatly from going through this, uh, the exchange, this little, this little study on the gospel. When someone has professed faith in Christ, um, the next step is to disciple them. It is to walk them down that pathway of Christian growth. And the first steps for doing that are found in a little study book called Foundations. And we keep a stack of these on hand. In fact, we were inventorying them this morning. We have a box of them ready to go. If you have not been through foundations yet, you need to. You say, well, I've been a believer for a long time. I know all the basics. Great. That's great. This is a good opportunity for you to get familiar with the tool that we use to disciple people. Because if you've been a believer for a long time, Hebrews... We're expecting that now you're going to be discipling other people, so now is your chance to get familiar with the tool that we recommend. It's not like beneath you. It's just, you know, it's a good review. It's a great chance for you to get familiar with this tool. So that's foundations. Those are the first two stepping stones that we recommend uh, on the discipleship pathway. And then um, there's one of a couple directions you could go. We have typically steered people for that third step to a book called Changed into His Image. Changed into His Image comes in several different formats. Uh, you can buy a companion workbook that goes through it. You can simply read it and discuss it. This is more like, so this is a workbook, this is a workbook. Change into His Image is more like a sit down and read book. But there are really good discussion questions at the end of each chapter. There's also an available study guide to go with it. Um, so with whatever format you use it in, there's a couple different ways you can do it. It's helpful because this is the theology of change. This is sanctification. It's a study on sanctification. We found that especially uh, sometimes mature believers get a lot of gaps filled in in their understanding when they read through this book. Now, that's one direction you could go. The other direction you could go is the sequel to Foundations. The sequel to Foundations is The Walk. So same format, workbook, topical, uh, over, overview of topics as they're treated in Scripture. And you could go either of those two directions. You say, well, which of those directions do we go? Well, it probably depends on kind of where you are, where the person that you're working with is in their spiritual journey. Uh, if they're a new believer, I would recommend going to the walk first and then change into his image, but you could do it either way. Um, so typically we've been steering people to change into his image. Um, the walk has been more recently released, and since it's the sequel to Foundations, that's another good option as well. And then, sky's the limit. There's a lot of directions you can go, and chances are, if you get this far in your discipleship process with somebody, you've already stumbled across something that needs more specific attention. And we can recommend resources on 
marriage, on parenting, on finances, on purity, on principles of Bible study, on church membership, on leadership, on any theological topic, on apologetics, on and on and on the list goes. And usually between Pastor Dan and I, we kind of already have a book in mind. We've been stumped a few times. Um, but generally, we kind of already have a book in mind that would be a good place for you to start. So if you come to us, and, and we encourage you to do this, and say, you know, I've been working with so-and-so. He just got saved a couple months ago, and he's really struggling with his thought life. What would you recommend that we start with? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point you towards a little study book that you can work through together, right? Um, or you say, this, this um, new believer is struggling in their marriage. What should we study together? And we can point you towards a resource, right? Because there's a certain point at which discipleship becomes individualized. And so this is the, this is the kind of practical outworking of all of this philosophy that, that we have, um, we've been talking about. That we are about the business of producing followers of Jesus Christ. Now, in a minute, I'm going to, we don't always take questions at the end, but this is just kind of a practical philosophy session. All right, so I'll give you a chance here if there's any questions, anything you want clarified. But just to kind of summarize, right, our mission is to produce followers of Jesus Christ, disciples. And this church is called upon to do that. But it's not just the church as a whole, yeah, the church is supposed to be making steps. No, each one of us have a responsibility to help others grow in Christ. And so all of this is not to kind of tell you about our program. It is a pathway. It is a means by which you can help others to grow in Christ. Um, the second week in September, we plan to restart our 915 Discipleship Hour. We'll be doing actually two during the week, so 9.15 and then Wednesday night. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, well, both of those times, there will be children's ministries going. And so because we have such a demand for service in the children's arena, um, we've decided to do two so that those serving um, at 9.15 have an opportunity to participate in discipleship on Wednesday night, and the reverse is true. Um, the... The Wolsifers are going to be supervising the teens who are going to do the heavy lifting for children's ministries on Sunday morning at 9.15, right? So that means that probably most of you will be doing discipleship during that, what we typically call the discipleship hour um, on Sunday morning. Um, but there may be some exceptions. Um, there may be some re reshuffling that has to take place, but we wanted to give you both of those opportunities so that there's not like, well, uh, I'm in children's ministries, I can't, you know, participate in discipleship hour. The other thing I would say is don't, don't be locked into that it has to be one of those times. It can be any time throughout the week. Uh, if something else works better for your schedule, um, I, we just do that because then at least there's a time set aside, and probably for most people that's going to work out, um, work out the best. So, all right. What questions do you have, or even comments, clarifications on discipleship philosophy? Or the practicalities of it? Yes, sir. Well, so I'm talking to a guy, and he 
thinks that God is evil. And so, uh, what resource would you recommend that defends God's goodness? Okay, so, does he believe, like, does he believe the Bible is the Word of God? Let's start there. Yeah, so you're doing what is sometimes referred to as pre-evangelism, right? So in other words, really, when we give the gospel, what do we do? We say, well, this is what the Scripture says. Well, wait a minute, I don't believe the Bible. Okay, let's take a step back, right? So then you kind of, you're having to do like steps to ramp up to, um, now, by the way, let me get off on tangent here real quick. I still think there's value in giving the gospel because the Word is still powerful. Whether someone believes it or not, the Holy Spirit can still use it, so... I'm, I'm fine with giving the gospel to someone who doesn't believe it's true. However, <laughs> you're doing what is called pre-evangelism. Okay, so Josh McDowell has some good resources. Um, um, More Than a Carpenter is probably the most digestible. Um, a Case for Faith. Str- Strobel, is that right? Um, would be another um, good resource. Um, there's a couple other... Geisler, most of his resources are pretty good and pretty attainable. Um, now, if the guy's super brainiac, then Geisler might be a little beneath him. Um, but the reason I like Geisler is he's kind of middle of the road, accessible to you know smart people and people like me. Um, so, but now that's of course all assuming he's willing to read a book, you know. Uh, Otherwise, you may just be limited to gleaning from those things and just having conversation after conversation with him, which, frankly, can take years, but the word will not return void. So stay faithful. And um, keep ha- if all he's willing to do is have a conversation, then keep doing that. Um, afterwards, when we're not streaming, I'll ask you the guy's first name so we can be praying for him. What else? Okay, good. Ingram, the last name on that one? Okay. You asked me a good question last week, and the question was, uh, is this for only members? And the answer is no. Um, our discipleship starts with non-disciples, so even if someone is not a believer uh, yet, um, we, we want to, if they're as, in as much as they're willing to study God's Word and learn the gospel, we want to go there. Um, and so and it's not just for non-members or not just for members, it's for open to non-members who are believers. It is open to even yet not yet believers. So uh, I say that, and the reason that's a really good question is because there have been people who have walked through the door of this church unsaved, but God's doing the work. I mean, the fact that they showed up here, I mean, something's going on, right? And, and the right response to that is, hi, I'm so-and-so. Do you have someone you're studying the Bible with? I mean, not quite that quick, maybe a little more warm up to it. But, but really, what some people want is, hey, someone who's going to spend time with me and answer my questions. Like, I've been, to, I've been to big churches where I just sat there and fit into the crowd, and nobody took an interest in, like, teaching me the Bible. And so, whether someone's a new believer or whether someone's an unbeliever, sometimes that's just what they need is someone to befriend them, offer them a Bible study, and, um, and, and build a relationship. And by the way, don't be surprised if one day I walk up to one of you 
with my with my hand on the shoulder of someone and say, "Hey, I want you, I want you to meet Bryce. Bryce is gonna Bryce is gonna study the Bible with you. Hey, hey, Joe here wants to study the Bible. Would you guys be willing to go through the exchange together? Right? Don't don't be surprised if that happens. <laughs> what else? Yes, ma'am. Of the foundations? No. Um, the, uh, we were just talking about that this morning. We need to dig to the bottom to find how many. We do have some change into his image on hand. We need to order the walk. So we will order those and have those by kickoff in the fall. Good, good question. Because if I had forgotten, that would have been my reminder. Fortunately, I was only a couple hours ahead of <laughs> What else? Good question. And maybe next week, maybe I'll try to have one of each of those out there so you can kind of thumb through them and look at good resources. Great questions. What else? Any else? Just practical questions? Yes, sir. Um, I don't have a resource off the top of my head, but generally a good commentary, if you're studying a particular passage that has an extra biblical reference, a good commentary will bring that resource in. It will cite the facts that you need to know surrounding that. So that's where I would point you would be to a good commentary on whatever passage it is that you're... That's going to be kind of passage specific. Do you have a question? The printed copy of this, yeah, okay. yeah, um, yes, that's a good suggestion to get it in your hands. So let's do that. So next week I'll have some of the resources out here, and we'll try to kind of print some of this out so that you have. And maybe I'll maybe I'll even try to list some of those other resources. All right. Anything else? Kind of an odd Sunday morning message. I know. Um, but uh, important, I think, for us to, to think, think through together. All right, let's, uh, let's uh, ask the Lord's... Um, let me make a few quick announcements, and then we will 